Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. It's Jen. And um, this week, we're doing something a little bit different. We're running a best of episode. And that's because I have COVID. Yeah, it sucks. And I do all of the recording for us, and I am not up to doing a recording. So we're going to run a best of episode with Dr. Marissa Franco. A lot of you have requested an episode on friendship, and it turns out we already had one. Uh, This is a great episode about friendship in midlife, and I hope you like it. And hopefully we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. Our guest today is Dr. Marissa G. Franco. Dr. Franco is a psychologist and friendship expert who's researched and studied the value and meaning of friendship extensively, both in the U.S. and as it applies all over the world. Dr. Franco is a professor at the University of Maryland. She writes for Psychology Today and has authored more than 20 research articles on loneliness, connection, and friendship. Her new book, Platonic, The Surprising New Science of Making and Keeping Friends as an Adult, will be published by Penguin Random House later this year and is available for pre-order now. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we are super excited. We've been wanting to do an episode like this on friendship for a long time. Um, So I'm just going to start out with something we know the answer to viscerally, but I'd love to hear you talk about from a scientific perspective. Why is friendship so important? So many reasons. I think mental health, physical health, and sense of identity are the three major ones. Um, Research actually finds that loneliness is more toxic for our bodies than having a poor diet or not exercising. Like it's one of the number one predictors of how long we live. And being chronically lonely is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and its impact on our bodies. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. So it's quite extreme how a lack of connection affects us. And then we also see in terms of mental health, one of the best things that we can do is develop a really close social support network. 
Um, there was a study that looked at 106 factors that influence our likelihood of getting depression. They found that the number one factor that prevents against depression is having someone to confide in. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Yeah. And then last, just for our sense of who we are, we kind of figure out who we are by seeing ourselves represented in the people around us and having that thing of recognition, like, oh, that's me. And so I think for us to really develop a rich sense of our identity, we need to have friends. Yeah. Yeah. You, According to your research, the average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years, but 40%, 45% of people would go out of their way to make a new friend if they only knew how. Why is it so much harder to make friends as we get older? And why is it so much harder for some people than others? Yeah. So here's the thing. We have been holding on to this myth that friendship happens organically because as kids it did. And that's because as kids, we had continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. Those are the ingredients for friendships to happen organically. And we had that in school, right? We had recess. Mm -hmm. We had classes together. We had gym together. But now as adults, we go into the workplace. And while we do have continuous unplanned interaction because we see each other every day for work, right? We don't have shared vulnerability. A lot of the times norms around professionalism means that I come to the job and all of a sudden I'm an employee and you don't know anything about me, even though you've, working, you've been working with me for years. And so we rely on that same structure that we could have relied on as kids, as adults, then we are not going to make friends because studies actually find that people that think friendship happens um, based on effort are less lonely years later, whereas people that see it as happening based on luck are more lonely years later. So that idea that it happens organically has a tangible impact on our ability to actually make and keep friends. And the people that are able to be successful at making friends, despite how hard it is, and I would say it's the hardest time in human history to make friends uh -huh. is right now. Um, what they know is that they have to initiate new friendships, that they can't wait for people to come to them. They meet someone they like and they say, it's been great to connect. I'd love to keep in touch. Um, they invite people out. I think another really important thing that we can do to make friends is create what I like to call friendship infrastructure, which means you are creating environments where you have continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. That could be you sign up for like an improv class or a language class. For me, it means I create regular interaction times with my friends. I say, let's do a biweekly dinner or let's do a monthly Span you know, Spanish language exchange or let's do a monthly writing club so that I know that whether I have to try or not, I'm automatically going to have connection fulfilling my week. How about, I mean, I have such fear of rejection around making new friends, and I feel like some of it is founded. Like, I've, I've gone out and tried to make new friends and been rebuffed. Like, how do you get over that fear of rejection while you're putting, making yourself, you know, speaking of vulnerability, very vulnerable? Yeah. So, Kim, this is a great question. Um, my big piece of advice is to assume people like you. And people think that sounds delusional, but I like to tell them about the science of something called the liking gap. So these researchers had strangers interact and afterwards they asked the strangers, hey, how much do you like one another? And they found that in fact, people underestimated how like they were and that the more hmm. self-critical they were, the even more pronounced this liking gap was, right? And the thing about assuming people like you um, there's this phenomenon called the acceptance prophecy. And research basically finds that when you assume people like you, it's more likely to become a self-fulfilling prophecy and to become mm -hmm. true. Why? Mm -hmm. Because when we are optimistic about our social interactions, we're warmer. We're more engaged, right? Um, we're more likely to initiate with other people, right? Do the types of things that make us friends. But when we assume people will reject us, we close off. We're cold 
we're closed off. And then we think, you know, these people are just rejecting me. But in fact, we might have willed it through some of our behaviors because when you are very afraid of rejection, you tend to be unfriendly. So Mm -hmm. assuming people like you will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But like I said, you know, also, Kim, sometimes people might just reject you, right? And so what do you do with that? I think as a psychologist, I try to encourage people to think of it as a reward for engaging in the process rather than the outcome. Hmm. So if you want to be better at making friends, you succeeded by reaching out to initiate, not when that person said yes or no, because you're not in control of that outcome. Right. Right. What would you say to a woman... Uh, this sounds like a very asking for a friend question, <laughs> but what would you say to somebody who had no problem making friends in their 20s or 30s, but hit their 40s and 50s and found it was a whole other ball game? Yeah, I mean, that's real. I think our relationships really do change over time. Our needs change. Um, the sort of busyness of the people around us really changes with age. And that's why things can get really hard. I think it's for certain age brackets. You'll see though, as people get into their sixties, all of a sudden everyone's retired, their kids left Mm -hmm. and everyone wants to make friends again. So it's an ebb and flow. It's not like, Oh, it's hard now. So it's going to be the hardest ever for my life. But I always say, make friends with people that want to make friends. Like don't try to force people that are like, I'm so busy. It's gonna be hard for me to fit my schedule. You're not getting that reciprocity, right? Don't try to push those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, If you find specifically what I like to call transitioners, people at times of life transition tend to be very open to friendship, whether that's divorce, whether that's, you know, they move to a new city. So you can be strategic about finding transitioners through going to, let's say, a meetup group for people that are new to your city, right? Or through, you know, if that's, if you went through a divorce too, going to some sort of grief group or something, or, you know, support group for people that have gone through divorce. Like being strategic about who you're connecting to is really, really important. And if someone doesn't want to connect with you, don't work harder, walk away, because there Mm -hmm. are other people out there who do want to connect with you, who are similarly open, who are similarly invested in friendship. And the problem that I see is that people go out there, they try once, right? It's very scary, but they will themselves to do it once. They get a negative reaction. This other person is maybe too busy, has too much going on in their lives. And then they're just like, nobody wants to be friends. Like everybody's closed off. Everybody has their own clicks. Everybody has their own group. So one thing that I think is really important is just to retain optimism, right? Just because one person wasn't ready for your friendship doesn't mean that no one is. Okay. But I have a question. I have a question. I feel like I meet people I like and I have that initial, like we have a text back and forth or we meet at a party and then they seem to stall. The friendship seems to stall. I don't know how to bridge the gap from acquaintance to actual real friend. Yeah. And that's what I want. How do I do it? (laughs) (laughs) There is a few things that I would suggest for you. Um, So it's going to take obviously some continued action and investment, right? So following up, reaching out, it could be like, And it's hard to know how to do this because everybody has a different openness to how much they want to hang out with a new friend. (laughs) And we don't know what that is, right? Um, So just sort of checking in, asking to hang out, you know, maybe waiting two weeks or so and then being like, hey, you know, I want to check in. Do you have some time available? I'd love to meet up, right? Making sure that you're not just letting it die and letting it fizzle, which is what most of us do. But at the point at which you're comfortable and or if you simply find a common interest, 
you want to create that friendship infrastructure with this person. So, hey, like, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you. You know, I've been doing, like, walks every Monday morning. Is that something that you'd be open to? Would you like to, like, do a, a biweekly walk together or something like that? Or, you know, I know we're both really into yoga. I've joined this, like, yoga studio. I was wondering if you wanted to come to, to this yoga class with me. Or I've been really wanting to start a book club. Like, or is that something you're open to? Like, maybe once a month we can just hang out and do a book club. Like, once you can turn that friendship into something that's continuous and repeated, it's just going to be so, so, so much easier. That being said, you don't have to do it. The alternative route is just, hey, keep checking out, check, keep checking in, keep asking to hang out. Um, but the thing about that is it's going to make you have to face your fears of rejection over and over and over again, rather than if you have something continuous, it's already in the schedule. So you're able to bypass some of those fears of rejection by making something more repeated. Yes, this is kind of a weird question, but... Um... I went through a period um, after a difficult period in my life when I lost a lot of friends. I felt a huge amount of shame around the fact that I didn't have as many friends as I used to. How do you get over? How does one get over like just feeling embarrassed because they don't have enough friends and or they don't they're not, you know, their needs aren't being met and it feels like a personal failing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Kim. I would say if you are feeling like you're lacking in friends, in friends, you are the average person. <laughs> um, you're not an anomaly. You're not atypical. In fact, you are the most common. The, I think the most common sort of situation that we have is people don't feel like they have enough friends. Um, you know, loneliness is, is so rampant. Up to 50% of people report being lonely. So statistically speaking, you are wildly not alone. I know it's not something we talk about, but it's it's the state of affairs now that like being lonely is more normal than being not lonely. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so there's really, I think, no shame to be had when you realize the scope of the issue and that you are, I think, you know, thinking about yourself as a byproduct of a larger culture that has made it really hard, really hard on people to make friends, right? I mean, there's various factors that contribute to this. We have a convenience culture now where we are sacrificing social interaction for conveniences, like mm -hmm. people delivering stuff at your door, or I take an Uber to the airport rather than ask my friend, right? Like money has kind of replaced the role of friendship in our society right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, social media too, and social media has very complex relationships with relation with friendship, which I can talk about a little later. But but overall, we see the picture is that it's, it's kind of decreasing our, our ability to make and sustain friendships. So what I just say is like, there's no shame to be had. And in fact, like if we all understood <laughs> the research and the statistics, you would know that like you are plain, you are average if you feel mm -hmm. like you're really struggling with friends, like you are part of this larger culture. You are, you know, you are very American <laughs> in yeah. your issue. It would have been very comforting to hear that at the time. <laughs> I have a question. So what are, what would you say are the common mistakes people make as they're trying to build new friendships. Yeah. I think a mistake is when we rely on other people. We think Her. people should come to me, mm. you know? People should overcome my walls. People should want to be friends with me. And if you want to be a good friend, you have to think a lot more about how you're treating people than just simply thinking about how they're treating you. I mean, that's important too. But um, when we are in a state of insecurity, for example, we tend to take on narcissistic is a strong word, but we tend to be very self-focused when we're feeling insecure. We think mm -hmm. a lot more about how other people have harmed us than how we have harmed people, right? And so if you want to make friends, I think the other issue that we have is that we don't understand what, what positions us to make friends. 
we might think, oh, if I'm cool, smart, interesting, people are going to want to be friends with me. That's not it. People want to be friends with someone that makes them feel valued and loved and like they matter. In mm. fact, being entertaining was the least important trait people rated um, when what they're looking for as a friend. The first important trait was ego support, which was people are looking for someone huh. who makes them feel good about themselves and good about who they are. Mm. And so instead of trying to be someone cool or charismatic, instead be someone who's interested in other people and who praises other people and who says to other people how much you value them and who does thoughtful things for people in your life because that is what's really going to help you make friends. The other thing that I see is that people think that vulnerability is a burden and they're invulnerable. They think people want to be friends with someone who's strong and who's polished. When in fact, we know from the science, you know, this study summarized all the research that's out there, found that the more people intimately self-disclose about themselves, the more liked they are by other people. We have a bias to underestimate the positive impact of our vulnerability. It's called the beautiful mess effect. Because we only think about how it's coming off negatively, we don't think about how it's coming off as positive, as honest, as authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, never being vulnerable, always trying to come up as poised and perfect, then you might actually be harming yourself when it comes to making friends because people want to know who you truly are um, to make friends with you. Let's take a quick break from some ads. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. 
I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. We've been talking a lot about making friends, but one of the other things that you talk about a lot is sustaining friendship. Um, what are some of the healthy ways to maintain a friendship? Yeah. So, I mean, it's similar to some of the things that I've talked about with making friends. Like you have to invest and you have to initiate. Please, you know, being in this place where you're sort of like effortless, taken for granted, I'm not going to try. Um, you have, you know, just like a romantic relationship, how much, how much do we have to do to upkeep our romantic relationships? And right. yet we think in friendships, we don't have to do anything at all. And that's just so untrue. Like relationships are relationships. We don't need to put this compartmentalization as to like what we do in our friendships and what we do in our romantic partnerships, because fundamentally what we've learned helps our romantic partnerships, helps friendships, helps relationships in general. So you need to check in with people. You need to invest. You need to show people you love and value them. You need to have new experiences with your friends. Like all of these things are very, very important. The other thing that I think is really important for maintaining friendships is being able to have healthy conflict. Um, I think I see how, you know, people are less likely to talk through conflict with their friends than they are with their romantic partners. We know that according to the research. And instead, they just kind of hold it against their friend without giving their friend a chance. Like it's like holding someone guilty before giving them a chance to sit in front of a jury when you like kind of hold on to this, this, like this grudge you have against a friend, but you don't give them a chance. You don't have that conversation with them. And I think the problem is that we think conf conflict has to look a certain way, like antagonistic. I'm attacking you. Right. Yeah. And we're both trying to like get our point across, but no conflict can be an act of love. It can be you saying to a friend, this friendship is so important to me. I don't want, I want to make sure that nothing gets in between us. So I wanted to make sure that I brought this up and I want to hear your perspective too. Right. And then using those I statements, like I felt X when you did this, I would love for this to happen. Like, what was your experience of that? It can be very, very collaborative and people don't realize that open conflicts actually related to deeper intimacy over time. It actually benefits our relationships and there's this um, psychoanalyst, Virginia Goldner, I really like her. And she talks about the difference between flaccid safety, which is when you feel safety because you're pretending there's no problems. And then there's this like this deeper version of safety that you can access when you're willing to rupture and repair and be honest about it. And for me, I think that's one of the things that's really changed since I've studied friendship is that I actually address problems with friends. And I've I've just been shocked by how much it can, and it can actually bring us closer. I'm so curious about that because I'm sure that you're right. But at the same time, one of the things that's helped me as I've gotten older um, in friendship was recognizing that certain friends fulfill certain functions. 
You know, I have a friend who has been insanely loyal to me, but I never talk to her when I'm feeling depressed because I know that she simply doesn't have the skills to to help when I'm depressed. She doesn't really believe in depression. Mm. And I have other friends who are just my like quick and easy friends. And it, it yeah. seems like that avoids a lot of conflict by acknowledging like, here's what this person can do for me and here's what they will never do for me. Yeah. But what she's saying is that there's not that 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 you're lacking in intimacy. Then you're 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 missing the opportunity for true emotional intimacy with that friend by no, not addressing that. that. I mean, but uh, maybe that person doesn't have the capacity. I I'm wondering if what we're talking about here is also understanding people's limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the thing is that sometimes having these conversations, your friend might be like you know, this isn't my strong suit, to be honest. And that's also healing to be like, oh, now I know, like now, now I know this is a personal, now I know like how to set my expectations around this friendship, right? Like if we can just be honest about what we're willing to give and what we're not willing to give, then I think that's very beneficial. And I think Jennifer, I think you bring up a great point, right? Like accepting that each relationship provides us with different things is a great way to approach friendship instead of imposing what we want and need onto every single person. And it's healthy even in a romantic relationship to realize one person can't do everything for you. And similarly, I think we need to recognize that in friendship. But I think what, I, what I'm saying too is that there might be a point where friends, a friend doesn't show up for you in a way that hurts you enough that you feel like you're withdrawing, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you have that mindset, there still might be a point where you feel like you're withdrawing. And that's the point where you have to talk about the conflict because if you don't, clearly the, the friendship is being ruined anyway, right? So if you're afraid having this conflict is going to ruin the friendship, but you're withdrawing from it, <laughs> and so it's right. going downhill either way, that's the point at which you have to have the conflict. And, you know, there's this researcher, Jeff Simpson, you know, his research basically found, you know, we tend to just leave our friends instead of talking through things. And, and he said that what he did is he tried to get people to ask themselves, what does this friendship bring me that no other relationship in my life does? to actually motivate people to have that conflict, have that discussion instead of just backing away. Right. Can we talk for a minute about friendship breakups? Because they seem to me to be as painful as relationship breakups. I mean, the couple times in my life that that has happened. And I'm also curious if you are um, in favor of friendship breakups or if you think that you should really keep a person around regardless. Yeah. Well, I think just to normalize this thing, (laughs) research actually finds that every seven years we lose about half our friends. So Hmm. it's really normal. Yeah. Really, really normal again for that breakup process to be occurring. Um, So again, like no shame about it. I think sometimes we feel like, man, what's wrong with me? Me and my friends are different. We've outgrown each other. And that's also just very, very normal right? It's, it, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. We are all growing. We're all changing. We are all evolving. And that doesn't mean that's any, that any, anything's wrong with anyone. I would say that friendship breakups are very painful. Well, first of all, I'll just mention that most of our friendships end not because we've actively broken up with them, but because they fizzled out and nobody contacted each other, which is why initiative is really important. If you, if you don't want to be part of that statistic of you know losing half your friends every seven years. But for those where we do break up, The reason that it's so painful is because we heal in community, like as social creatures. 
when we go through a trauma, when we go through a loss, one of the best things that we could do is turn towards our community to help us process the loss and get support and not feel alone. But the problem is there are certain types of losses that our community doesn't value as a true or real loss. Miscarriages, infertility, loss of pets, and friendship. So what does that mean? That often when we lose friends, we experience something called disenfranchised grief, which is when you have trouble processing your grief because your community doesn't validate the depth of the loss. And so that's why, you know, I interviewed someone for my book and they were like, it's been 10 years and I still cry when I see her Instagram account, you know, why people are still having that acute grief reaction because they just haven't had the space to process it. And what happens is when we see that reaction from others around us, we internalize it. And we, our internal dialogue is, why am I making such a big deal of this? Like, why can't I let this go? Like, what's wrong with me? Right. And that's the worst thing you could do for grief. Like grief needs to be felt. It needs to be validated. It needs to be seen. It needs to, you know, we need to give it its space to, to work through us, to work through our bodies. So that is one of the big reasons why grieving a friendship breakup can just be so, so hard. Oh my God. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I can't, I, my <laughs> mind is just lit up. Okay. But okay. You're blowing my mind. Okay. One thing I found really interesting is you've said that maintaining friendship is a process, not just of behaviors, but of fundamentally reconciling with how we view ourselves. Can Absolutely. you talk about that? Cause I think that that not feeling unlovable, being afraid to be seen, you know, all of those things play into friendships for me almost more than romantic relationships, to be honest, you know, because yeah. it's a different, it's a different intimacy. And, you know, women tend to know women in a different way, you know, and see women in a different way than maybe not all men, this is a stereotype, but you know, anyway, I want to talk about that part of like, yeah. of how, how we view ourselves. Yeah. So I think if we feel really insecure and negative about ourselves, two things may happen that may, may harm our friendships. The first is we may feel like we need to be someone else to make friends with people. And we are inauthentic around other people. And what happens is I define inauthenticity as a form of loneliness. I don't think that you can feel connected to someone and inauthentic at the same time. And in fact, when there's periods of times where I do feel disconnected, to my close friends, I often look at why and I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling completely authentic in this relationship. Like I've withdrawn or I didn't share this important thing about me. Um, and that's why I feel disconnected. And so that, that I think is part of the reason why if you have insecurities, you may have friends, you may have people you hang out with, but you won't actually feel connected to them unless you're authentic. The yeah. other thing that happens is this is, there's a study, this was actually on romantic couples, but I think it still applies and when people in the partnership were asked, how much do you think your partner loves you? Their assumption about how much their partner loved them was more highly correlated to how they felt about themselves than how much their partner actually felt about them. <laughs> so what happens is when we feel bad, when we feel insecure, we tend to assume that everybody else thinks we suck too because we think we suck. And what happens then is that we filter out all the ways that people are loving us. We don't notice we have this sort of confirmation bias of sorts, right? And so people can, in our lives can be doing all these nice things for us or trying to engage with us. And we can say, you know, that doesn't matter because they were just doing it because X, Y, Z reason, not because they actually like me, right? So we don't actually take in and receive other people's love. And that's very frustrating for people because it's vulnerable for them to give us love. 
And when we keep sort of pushing it away because it bites at some of our insecurities, then they're less likely to give us that love all the time. And so there can be this sort of unfortunate self-sabotaging loop based on our insecurities that we can end up sort of pushing people away because we can't read the extent to which they love and value us. What if you've decided this person I'm friends with is not a good person? Like, <laughs> I don't respect this person. No, yeah. I'm kind of serious. Like, yeah. what do you do? What do yeah. you do? Yeah. How do you how do you ease yourself away from somebody when you realize like, eh, actually, no? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the route. So here's the hard thing about studying friendship, Kim. There are no rules. So everybody's confused all the time. It's not like a romantic relationship where you're like, we'll just file for divorce, you know, like <laughs> it's just. And then I ask people on my Instagram account, like, if a friend doesn't want to be friends with you, would you rather they tell you or would you rather they just back away? And right. literally the answers are split in half. Half the people say, tell me, tell me, tell me. Half the people are saying, just back away, spare my feelings. So what I've, what I've come to think about this is if the other person similarly seems like they want to back away or less invested, then I think you can just take that route, right? You can just let bygones be bygones. If you're not reaching out to them, they're not reaching out to you, then you don't necessarily need to have a conversation about it. But let's say you realize you don't want to be friends. They're still very invested in you. They're still reaching out all the time. I think at that point, you have to have a conversation and you have to say like, hey, you know, I valued our friendship for all of these ways, but I'm feeling like we may not be compatible. And I just wanted to make sure I was being upfront and transparent with you um, instead of backing away in an underhanded way. And that what that's going to do for the other person, it's, it's going to help them process their grief, right? Because when we ghost, it's to protect our us from feeling uncomfortable emotions, but instead we amplify the uncomfortable emotions of the other person, right? So the right. mature the mature thing to do is just to be like, this is why it's not working out for me. This is what's going on for me in this relationship. Not attacking them, but just saying, you know, I'm feeling like, you know, we have different values or we have different interests here. Maybe we're just like not compatible at the level that I really want. And um, what you'll do for them is that you will help them in their grief process because when we don't give people that closure, we tend to trigger something called ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss is... I can't grieve this because I don't have any meaning making as to why this happened. And what that leads to is people end up ruminating on it more, stressing about it more, thinking about it more than if they just were able to have a conversation and understand the reasoning for why you're trying to back away. You know, a close friend of mine um, had a had a, a ver an even closer friend of hers um, just ghost her, just dump her after years and years and years and years of friendship. And she said, I only think about it every day. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. <laughs> I know, but they can do that to you. Friendships can really like, you know. Well, but I do think it's this thing that we're not, sorry to interrupt you. I think it's this thing that we're not treating them the way we would treat a romantic relationship. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, I, I have a friend who I, 30 year friendship, we had a big breakup a couple of years ago. I look at that person's Instagram account almost every day. I'm, I'm not over it. The breakup was not, I don't feel resolved. I don't feel closure. I feel ashamed of how I behaved, you know, I, I, 
And if it was a romantic relationship, I would have exited it in a different way. It just didn't, there was, like you said, there's no rules around the exit, you know, and I don't even know if we should have exited, you know, it's, it's hard to know, which brings me to a point I want to talk about, which is what about our legacy friendships? You know, the, the really old, important relationships with people that you might not have a lot in common with anymore, but you have all this shared history. Yeah. I, I don't want to let those go often. And I feel like we don't want to let those go often because there's, there's all these memories together, but how do you serve each other in the present day? Yeah, this is a great question. And this is something that I do think is magical about friendship, which is that friendship, I think distinct from a romantic relationship or even a family relationship, it can occur on such a spectrum, right? So if we have an issue with a friend, we don't need to be like, we're not friends anymore. We can be like, okay, we're going from very close friends to maybe medium close friends or medium close friends to maybe low close friends. I, you know, I use this term low dose friends. Like there's people that I'm like, I like you at a low dose, you know, like I like you when I see you once a month. (laughs) If I see you once a week, it's going to be a different story. But for the once a month, like this is great. And so I think if we feel like there's those friends, you know, we have all these shared memories. I want to keep this person in my life, but not at that same level, maybe of the past then you can just sort of think about what does it look like to dial this relationship down if you don't necessarily want to end it. I think the other thing that's really important to do is I think when it comes to to those sorts of friendships, we tend to hold on to them because we compare them to what they were at their peak, right? Uh That's our anchor of comparison. Okay, how it is now to how it was at its best, right? And that doesn't necessarily need to be the anchor point, right? Because like, you can have a different anchor point than this relationship at its peak. You can decide that this anchor point is like what I expect from my friendships right now. And that's what I'm going to compare this to, like what I'm getting out of this friendship versus what I, you know, one out of my friendships in this moment, rather than what I, how our relationship was in the past. So I think we can also think about what does it look like to change your anchor point of comparison for this friendship? And does that change how much you value the friendship or you don't value the friendship? You want to invest in it. You don't want to invest in it right? Like if you met this person now, would you still want to be friends with them? And if so, at what level of closeness would you want to be friends with them? I think all of those, all of those are really important questions to ask yourself when you're deciding on continuing a friendship when the compatibility has sort of changed. I think one nice thing about like the friendships I have that are legacy friendships is that They already peaked. They had their sort of, you know, when women are in their 20s and 30s, there's an intensity to the friendship that changes. But the, well, I'm thinking of one friendship in general, the amount of like honesty we have with each other and the amount of vulnerability and all of that is so much greater than it ever was before. Mm. Yeah. I see that. I see that too. I wonder about boundaries, both sort of, outbound and inbound. You know, I I find I don't ever really know how much is okay to expect from a friend. And I find that I, I mean, I'm I'm not, I'm not this stupid, but I do find that like, (laughs) I, I don't always know how much to expect from a new friend. And I also don't know always how to set a boundary without retreat. Yeah. Yeah. So for the second point, boundaries without retreat, right? I think a lot of the times we do think about boundaries as absolute when they don't necessarily have to be. Sometimes they might have to be, but sometimes we can say, 
hey, you know, I am not able to come pick you up at the airport this time around, but maybe next time I'll be free, right? Or, hey, I'm not able to help with babysitting for the whole four hours, but I can come by for an hour. Or, you know, like, what else can you offer? If you can't offer what they're looking for, is there something else that you might be able to offer them, right? So instead of thinking about it as like, I am going to be completely comfortable and I'm going to leave you in the state of discomfort. (laughs) um, Is there a way that I could try to meet your needs given my capacity right now? And maybe it's not, I fully meet your needs, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe it's, I give you, I give you a little bit, I give you a little bit, even while I'm still able to sort of preserve the boundary that I need to preserve. Um, I think about boundaries as a way to, you know, Prentice Tempel is this somatic practitioner and they say like, Boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself at the same time. And Hmm. I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I think for me, like I've come to see boundaries, my own and my friends as um, a way to, to love the relationship because it's saying I'm setting this boundary so that I don't build negative feelings to you over time. Right. So that I don't resent you over time. And so I'm doing this to, to make sure that we are healed, that our relationship stays healthy. Um, and then, uh, then that's something when I see it that way, and even in myself, like thinking about boundaries is like, this is something that I need to set. So I don't act out against this friendship. Right. So if, if I, you know, take care of this friend's pet for like five days and I have a lot going on in my life, I know that I'm going to feel resentful for this friend, let's say. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that way towards my friend. Like I want to feel positively towards my friend. And I think about that boundary as like really a way to stay close to my friend then because then I won't have those like negative feelings towards them that's going to get in the way of our friendship. So I think just reframe around how we think of boundaries. We often think of it as, I don't know, more negative or some sort of selfish, but just boundaries are also an act of love. I think it's a way for us to like stay close over time. Yeah, yeah, Um Kim, what? Is so emotional. <laughs> I am so emotional. I'm just like, oh my god, this is like, oh, this is really opening my mind. I feel like you're just addressing so many, like, you're just really pinpointing with real accuracy and real precision the problems we have in friendship, the the vulnerability, the the lack of vulnerability, the fear that you're not going to be accepted, and then the retreat, not having the confidence to say, hey, you know, that doesn't really work for me. And instead of being like, that person's bad, you know, like yeah. all of the bullshit yeah. patterns we have around friendship that have ultimately what to do with, you know, everything to do with how we feel about ourselves, you know, is there any sort of last like advice you would give like for a woman, this is a show for women over four. Is there any sort of last advice you would just really give, like, this is how to do it? I think something that I would say is that our friendships ebb and they flow, and there's going to be moments of closeness and moments of distance in any friendship. And so that means that when we begin to experience some distance in a friendship we felt close to, that that might just be a chapter in the story rather than the end of the story. I think that's really important to remember the ebb and flow. Um, The other thing that I can say around, you know, protecting ourselves and our friendships being a reflection of how we feel about ourselves, too, is that there's this really interesting theory that I came across while writing my book. It's called risk regulation theory. And risk regulation theory basically argues that oftentimes we are either protecting ourselves or our relationships. We are either in pro-self mode or pro-relationship mode. Let me explain that further, right? 
if I'm fearing rejection and I'm in a place of protecting myself, so I don't trust people, I don't initiate with people, I'm not vulnerable with people, I'm not telling people how much I like and value them, that feels like it's benefiting me because I'm not as vulnerable to being exploited. But in fact, it's harming my friendships. So indirectly, it's not necessarily going to benefit me. That's not to say that you should never be in self-protection mode because there are friendships that you should be or, or relationships that are lower quality that you should be in self-protection mode in, right? And But to be in pro-relationship mode, what that means is to be in a place where we're ready to connect with people, we need to be lower in our level of self-protection. Then inevitably connecting with people makes us more vulnerable. There's no way to be invulnerable and connected at the same time. If we want to be in pro-relationship, pro-friendship mode, we have to be vulnerable to rejection. We have to be vulnerable to sharing things and people aren't responding in the same way. You know, we have to be vulnerable to someone breaking our trust because that's what, what, that's what re- is required for the risks of connection inevitably. So if you're someone who's really, really focused on protecting yourself, it's easy to see how that benefits you but just consider the impact of that on your friendships and your relationships. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Marissa, this has been just amazing. Thank you so much. This is, we've wanted to do this episode for a long time and you really brought it. You really brought (laughs) it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Marissa, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O. At my website, www.drmarissagfranco.com. You can take a free quiz to assess your strengths and weaknesses as a friend and sign up for my newsletter every month. I share um, a newsletter on the research of connection and friendship. And last, feel free to pre-order my book. That would help me a lot. (laughs) I go into a lot more depth into some of the topics I talked about here today. So you can just find it online. It's called Platonic, The Surprising New Science of How to Make and Keep Friends as an Adult. Excellent. Thanks again. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, Marissa. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.